Well, welcome everyone for another extra episode of Reimagining Cyber. My name is Rob Borrego, and I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Stan Wisseman. Today's extra episode is an interesting one, um, very timely. We're seeing a lot of policy globally come forward around cyber in general. And Stan, why don't you actually start us off as it relates to what's um, happening here in the U.S. specifically? So, Rob, at the beginning of March, the Biden administration announced a, a sweeping new national cybersecurity strategy for the U.S., and I actually see this as being a pretty sharp break from the past. You know, if it's fully implemented, I think the potential to change the U.S. cybersecurity posture will significantly um, be improved for the better. Yeah, agreed. I think so, too. I mean, there's a lot of excitement about this. And it's excitement and legislation or law or strategy don't always go together. But in this world, it seems like right now everybody seems to be really excited about what's happening here. So it seems like potential for a, a great change in the way things have been done. Yeah, he wants to build on the momentum, honestly, from the three administrations prior to Biden. They've, they've made steps, right? And he wants to build on that. Um, and he's focusing this strategy on on five pillars, as they call it, mm -hmm. you know, critical infrastructure protection, the disruption of threat actor operations and infrastructure, uh, promoting better security among software vendors and organizations, handling individuals' data, and then investment in more resilient technologies and cooperation internationally around cybersecurity. So, I mean, pretty ambitious as far as the the scope of what we're trying to do. Now, note that they, the scope does not include um, national defense and intelligence, mm -hmm. They, you know, which makes sense, right, that, that they don't include that. And, and as it's in the name, I've seen some, you know, uh, opinions of disappointment that some areas aren't addressed in cyber, but it's not cyber. It's not a national cyber strategy. It's national cyber security strategy. So it is focused specifically on cybersecurity and not the broader cyberspace. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. And I think, you know, of the five pillars, I mean, they're, they're obviously they're all important, but if you kind of start at the top stand, you know, the critical infrastructure one, no surprise, it's kind of listed as number one, right? Especially everything that we've seen over the past several years, knowing critical infrastructure is a huge target. Knowing what happened with Colonial Pipeline is an example that kind of seems to almost be like, this is time for change. So what are your thoughts just in general on that piece? Well, I think one of the big differences in this approach is that, you know, the expansion of, of regulations and a minimum set of security requirements for the critical infrastructure sectors, you know, and and while voluntary approaches have, have sort of moved the needle in the past in some of the sectors, lack of mandatory requirements has certainly resulted in inadequate or inconsistent outcomes in other sectors. I'm thinking, you know, financial being sort of like the poster child of how it is done right, but there, you know, 15 other sectors that really are right. are not necessarily to that standard, um, and they aren't really necessarily saying create new standards and guidance. They want to leverage some of the ones that already exist, like the NIST framework for improving critical infrastructure cybersecurity and what CISA has as far as performance goals. So they're not recreating the wheel here. The 15 areas of critical infrastructure were called out, was it maybe last year, right? With again, a lot of emphasis on the things that needed to be handled. Um, and to your point, the financial segment does fall underneath critical infrastructure, obviously, but is also where the, um, I mean, let's be honest, it's kind of where it, it's most mature, right? For reasons, right. you know, that could be associated, obviously, everything that they're doing from a business, but also you have 
SEC behind it. You have FFIEC. I mean, there's so many different regulatory and compliance, auditing, everything going on consistently needing them to continuously evolve and invest. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that translates into, you know, these, these other areas. And, and that will be a point of, of pushback. You know, some of these sectors or organizations in them may push back on additional regulation. Now, one of the other things that I found is interesting, you know, I think we can all agree that um, the time where we expected end users or small organizations to mm-hmm. be able to um, handle their own cybersecurity has has passed. You know, we we, we as individuals many times are overwhelmed uh, if, if you weren't an expert on what to do. Um, much less, you know, local governments or small businesses. And so the creators of the strategy are really looking to shift that balance of burden, uh, thinking that it's fallen too much on those those that don't have the resources to really uh, equip themselves. And so they're they're arguing to basically, you know, reshift to those that have the means to do it and take the responsibility. Um, and they aren't actually, you know, saying that you should absolve the end user for from security responsibilities, but definitely take more responsibility if you have the ability to do so. And uh, it also puts some guardrails down um, on what the government's role is mm-hmm. in cybersecurity. And it sort of defines that boundary, where, you know, protecting its own systems and networks and ensuring that the private sector does its part. And it sort of reminds me of that whole Michael Eccles episode that we did, I think it was episode 13, where he says that, you know, the, the government's not going to be there to save you. Yes. You know, you know, they, they have their responsibilities and what they're going to do, but they aren't going to be in your house or in your business to necessarily pick up the pieces if you're hit by a big attack. No, that's for sure. Now, now one of the other key aspects that I'm sure you're very interested in, um, is this kind of a, a sweet spot for you it, it is around the software kind of liability aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Be interesting to hear your thoughts on that piece. Well, I mean, I think it will be potentially kind of controversial, but the strategy does mm-hmm. put an emphasis on holding software vendors more directly responsible for the security of their technologies. And it it, it recognizes that, you know, that if left its own devices, the software market many times is, you know, rewards vendors that underinvest in security and get things out to market faster. Right. You know, I mean, that's been proven time and time again that market pressures are not necessarily going to result in more secure products. And it is is shifting liability of insecure software and services to the vendors and away from the end user. Um, and that avoidance that many times software vendors use as far as in their contracts of acceptance of use of that software. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there, you know, Biden, this is again, one of those challenges as far as the implementation side of it, yes. uh, I, I, Biden and the administration is going to have to work with Congress to pass legislation mm-hmm. that'll prevent software manufacturers and publishers to really, you know, market, um, insecure software and, you know, disclaim away the liability by contract. And so. You know, that's interesting. I, th- I think the other aspect of this is is, is establishing an adaptable safe harbor framework mm. to shield from liability companies that actually do integrate in security into the development processes and maintain their software and products and, and services the way we want them to as far as with security in mind. So uh, establishing that and enabling organizations to feel like they won't be liable 
um, if they're doing it right, um, is going to be important. Yeah. Yeah. The regulators are encouraged to um, look at ways to either work on the tax structures or the other mechanisms to incentivize in a positive way, but they will have some negative, but they don't have anything where we will not uh, consume any of these products. They are trying to um, simplify compliance by normalizing some of these regulations and, and current standards. And so I think the uh, the White House National Cybersecurity um, folks are going to be taking lead on that as far as trying to orchestrate and ensure that we aren't overburdening um, these organizations mm-hmm. for compliance. But I, this is going to take time. You know, Absolutely. this I mean, I mean, they're talking about a 10 year window here for the Cybersecurity Act, you know, strategy. And, and 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 some of that, again, is is dealing with some of the technical debt, you know, that mm-hmm. they want the. You know, they want the the federal agencies to to demonstrate by leading, you know, that, hey, we'll take this on and we will, you know, update and modernize and we'll uh, implement zero trust and, and you know, migrate to the cloud and get off these legacy systems that we can't secure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but that's going to take years. Uh, so it, it is going to be one of those things that um, the implementation of this through various administrations who may have different priorities, uh, it's going to be interesting to say how we do, you know, how we can actually deliver on it. Very but true. I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, this sort of ties into what else is going on in the, in the world. Um, the EU has a resilience act also on the table, right. That has right some of the same kind of themes around how to ensure that products are produced yeah. more securely. Right. It's it's interesting how they do, you know, somewhat overlap, right? There's, there's a lot of con- consistency between the two. So yeah, to your point, uh, so back in September of 2022, the EU, actually the European Commission published the uh, the EU Cyber Resiliency Act. Uh, so it's some proposed legislation that in essence, you know, really is a, um, a way of providing the kind of first global piece of legislation around how you actually secure IoT in general, devices and services. And, you know, some of the key points you were talking about within the U.S. National Cybersecurity Strategy definitely are very prevalent within this as well. So there's, there's, there's also five areas or elements. They don't necessarily call them pillars, but in their kind of frame, it's, it's, it's elements. Um, it centers around, you know, the, the cybersecurity setting kind of a minimum set of requirements as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it also extends into, again, this is about the manufacturer side of it. So the manufacturers need to include really a, um, you know, a principle around security by design uh, model and also how they support the, um, the IoT devices or services through its life cycle. So it's not, hey, we deliver and then you, know, you have a one-year, two-year warranty or something like that. They're actually doing a minimum of five years required. Um, and this, they, this is software and hardware, right? Hardware and software. That's right. It's both. It's both. Um, they also need to obviously provide a point of contact for you know consumers to be able to report any findings and vulnerabilities. They need to report the manufacturer needs to report any security breaches uh, to the EU Cybersecurity Agency. Um, so there's a lot of things going on there. And, and now what's interesting is the the emphasis back to kind of security by design and, and default uh, model is one where they've broken it into two different areas. There's the security requirements and then there's the maintenance requirements. Mm. Under the security requirements. That's covering basically items around you know, software security, um, limiting the attack surface. Uh, they call it integrating with identity access management type of solutions to protect unauthorized access. 
and also monitoring you know the devices uh, for any modification to the data associated you know at the device or back in transit as well as that information on the maintenance side they actually are very focused on personal data right and ensuring that there's the protection and confidentiality uh, and integrity of the data right of the individuals um, there's vulnerability disclosures that are required again from the manufacturers and also of course you know continuing to keep a catalog of all the vulnerabilities associated to their particular devices or services, you know, from that but regard. I, but, but I think another aspect of this is to raise the visibility of how this this product's security posture um, is to the buyer, so that they can yes. make a more informed decision. Right. Ultimately, yes. You know that. So it is again back to the consumer. So even as you stated around the U.S. national privacy um, cybersecurity policy and strategy. It's offloading that kind of concern down to the to, to the end user at the end of the day and pulling some of that back to the manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And, and to go a further extent, what they're doing is they're actually calling out, um, they actually do a pretty good job of this, risk levels. There's three different risk levels that they associate this to. So there's the default level, which basically is the majority of um, IoT type devices and services you would actually, you know, kind of commonly seen from an end user consumer perspective. So think about, you know, our connected home devices, um, you know, connected toys, right? We saw a security hmm. issue on that several years ago. Right. Um, but those falling there, like an e-health application, um, you know, things of that nature. And and for them, they're requiring that manufacturer for those types of devices do a self-assessment and self-report. Okay. We go to class one. Class one now really steps it up and basically says, okay, we're going to require a, uh, a certification type of process or model, right? That you go through and vet out and come back with the actual findings, and we say yes, it's good or not. Um, but there's a third party assessment that would potentially be part of that as well to offload it from your requirement. And then the final class is level two, and class two is you have to go through a third party assessment. And the way they kind of break this down, so when you think about class one, class two, class one, they're actually talking about things like um, network devices. Um, you know, not anything that's kind of security oriented okay. class two is basically now we're talking about operating systems, security devices, you know, industrial IOT devices. So it's, it's, it's the things that you would expect that should truly, you know, make sure it's being properly assessed and, and, uh, and in compliance with obviously what they're calling out. So it's interesting to see kind of how that's going to evolve. There was something that came out recently on the, um, bit of confusion around the EU cyber resiliency act and the, EU AI Act. And it was basically, you know, kind of, you know, where is there a crossover? Is there a crossover? Or do we still kind of treat them separately? And so what they came back with, I believe it was just done in the February, very, very beginning of March, was around um, basically saying, you know, so, so if the AI system follows the guidelines, basically, of what's encompassed within class two requirements, mm-hmm. then they're covered for the Cybersecurity Act all the way through and including the AI Act. Again, oh, still being proposed to be seen kind of what comes to fruition. But yeah, so it is interesting. And then the other piece that's kind of, you know, where, where does the kind of ruler come across the knuckles is so there's, you know, if you're not in compliance, basically you can be penalized up to about $15 million or 50 million euro, I should say. Yeah, I was wondering what the incentives were going mm-hmm. to be, either negative or positive. And I don't find that as being the actual issue. The actual issue is, if you don't prove compliance, you're not doing business in the EU, period. 
That's wow. exactly that's the one that really resonates, right? That's what's going to make people say, well, I have to obviously to be able to generate the type of business I require from the entire EU marketplace. So we'll obviously keep a close eye on it. And, um, you know, when the time is right, we'll do another update on this and include it in one of our episodes. So Stan, good conversation, getting kind of the lay of the land, what we're seeing out there from a policy perspective. And I think, again, good momentum on some of these different uh, pieces. Good to see, you know, what they're covering. And again, we'll keep an eye out, seeing what's coming next. Sounds good. Thanks, Rob. Hello, producer Ben here. Now you heard Stan mention episode 13 of Reimagining Cyber, which features Michael Eccles, author of Secure Cyber Life, The Government Is Not Coming to Save You. It's a great example of the many fine shows we have in our vaults. In the episode, Michael does a deep dive into the importance of industry standards, cyber threat information sharing, and as we move to a more digitized society, how critical it is to educate the masses. Cybercrime has reached a level that we could have never imagined, and this world is becoming digitized, and we're becoming more vulnerable every day. With all of that being said, I'm in Washington, D.C., I can get on the bus, I can go 10 miles around the city, I can get on the metro, I can go into any building in the world's most powerful city, and there is not one sign that tells you that you should be digitally secure. That's Michael Eccles from episode 13 of Reimagining Cyber. Do go and give it a listen, and whilst you're there, if you haven't already, subscribe or follow the show. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then please leave us a rating and a review. Thanks.